You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the Best Life. recorded over a recording because we're talking about my poop and sirens came sorry it's okay so okay so we're back on (laughs) so tell i mean you don't have to tell the people but we were talking about it right before we turned the mic on yeah that uh you've discovered some new digestive enzymes and why is that significant well the last two days i have been going to the bathroom like 20 minutes after my breakfast which Maybe to a lot of you is like, yeah, that's what we do. But I personally don't poop. <laughs> never. <And I'm> not, <laughs> just never taking a shit in your life. And I'm not like one of those, my shit doesn't stink person because I just don't shit is the thing. <laughs> and this has been a lifelong, lifelong thing. I, since I was like eight years old, I remember my mom talking, tell me, taking me to the doctors and Y'all, please don't send me your like poop remedies to I go was to the say, bathroom. You're gonna get a ton of like fiber recommendations. I have gotten so many over my life. People are like, oh, just try, just eat more fiber. I was like, yo, I ate oatmeal and vegetables every single day for seven years. Like, if that's not enough fiber, and then my old roommate, he's like, just drink orange juice. I was like, if it just, if it was simply orange juice, I would have freaking, I don't know, stock in orange juice. But no. Nothing, not a single thing. Even I had a colonoscopy and when you take, when you do a colonoscopy, they give you this gallon, a gallon of like magnesium citrate and that's supposed to clear you out. And I remember my ex-boyfriend had to do a colonoscopy and he was just like shitting his brains out within hours. I took that stuff. I went to sleep, woke up in the morning, had not taken a shit. All that changed was my fingers were swollen like freaking sausages. So like all of the liquid just went into my extremities. <laughs> I went to the doctor to do the colonoscopy. They're like, well, if you didn't go, we can't do this. So then they sent me home the second time. They said, okay, this time you need to drink that gallon and take these pills, which were stool softeners. I pooped, but I knew it wasn't that much. So anyway, they put me under. When I get up, when I wake up, they're like, yeah, we actually couldn't really go very far because you were all backed up still. And I was like, okay, this time I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Third round to try the colonoscopy. And we're, by the way, we're doing the colonoscopy to figure out like what the hell is wrong. Yep. Is there a blockage in there or something? Apparently I must have like a plastic bag, you know, blocking everything off. <laughs> but <laughs> I took six laxatives and then I went to Jesus. get a colonic 
the day that before, all on my own, just to make sure. And even then, they said, yeah, there was still a little bit of debris, but like we were able to go up there. And I was like, after all that. Dang. So, so usually it takes you like seven to 10 days and then you start getting kind of grumpy and then. Yeah, like seven to 10 days I get grumpy and then I might go just a little bit. And then if I don't go more, you know, I usually know that I, I know 10 days worth is not coming out. Um, but if it's like really, really bad, then I'll take a laxative or something. Then every once in a while, I can get probi- probiotics will help, but like the really high strain ones, they're so expensive. But so. anyway, you're on new digestive enzymes and you've been having, uh, you've been gone twice in two days now. Congratulations. Yeah. Welcome to being an actual regular person. Thank you. I hope that is what it is or it's just not travel bug. Well, now you're going to just have the anxiety that all of us normal people have when we start dating someone new and we travel <laughs> with them for the first time. <laughs> I remember I was dating this dude a couple of years ago and we were traveling. We've only been dating for like maybe a month or so. And we went to Vegas for New Year's and we were ho- like we were staying in a room together. And I was so nervous. I went down to the lobby every time I had to go number two. I was like, oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm so awkward. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jeff has done that a lot of times. Like yeah. he's like, oh, I'm going to go get you coffee. And I was like, OK, that's really sweet. But I have a feeling he was also yeah. going to the bathroom. Yeah. Hey, man, do you do what you have to do for now? It's fine. Yeah, it's weird. I think it's normal. Well, I don't think it's normal. It is normal. Well, yeah. (laughs) I think pooping is normal, maybe. Okay, what were we actually going to talk about? So we um, (laughs) wanted to talk about rejection. Rejection. So rejection is like, it's this big, scary thing that a lot of us fear without even knowing it. And the reason why this has come up is obviously, you you guys know, Danny and I have been dating quite a bit the last several years. And... I mean, like, I hate to sound like kind of brat, but like I hadn't really gotten rejected all that much in my life up until that point. And so and rejection can come in many forms. It can come in like a dating form, relationship form. Obviously, the biggest rejection was our husband. So yes. there was that, you know, which is more like trauma than it is actual like it's like a rejection on steroids. Mm-hmm. But also, I think rejection comes out a lot, especially in business. So I'm here in Austin and I'm hosting my business mastermind. And a couple times this weekend, we do what's called hut seats where someone gets in and we just focus on their business for like about 30 minutes. So we go, we do a deep dive into their business. Everyone kind of helps everyone. It's this big kind of spitballing session. We give people a lot of strategy help and they walk away with kind of like a plan for the next 90 days. And one of the things that came up a couple times was, well, I'm scared to do that thing because what if no one participates? I'm scared to launch that thing because what if no one purchases? So it's almost like we're defaulting to worst case scenario to prevent the feeling of rejection because we do take it so personally, especially when it's something like a business or a a romantic relationship. It's so easy to get caught up in the personal nature of rejection. It's not they didn't want the program or this is a marketing problem. It's they didn't want me. me. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to catastrophize all the way down to I suck and I, you know, should just get a regular job if anyone even hire me and like all this kind of stuff. So we kind of <laughs> catastrophize. And so I think rejection, overcoming rejection can be really, it, it needs to be addressed. And so I'm interested in just maybe strategies. Maybe we can talk about, maybe just start with dating or relationship rejection in whatever way, right? Sometimes you feel rejected by a friend who stops talking to us. Maybe you feel rejected when someone unfollows you on social media. Maybe you feel rejected. You don't really know why and you take it personally. So when it comes to relationships, how do you manage rejection? Well, I think this was just a perfect way we started because we started talking about shit and then rejection makes you feel like shit. So this was (laughs) a great, really great intro. It's funny when when you said, let's talk about rejection, I jokingly said, well, this is going to be a hard episode for me because I've never been rejected, which... It's like not 
too <laughs> off base though. <laughs> but Jill said, well, when I, you know, dating really got me out of that rejection. And to be honest, dating was relatively easy for me. I didn't feel rejected very often, but I did a few times and it does suck. And it's kind of, um, I don't know. So I've kind of been the person where even if I didn't want to be with someone, I'm like, I don't want them to break up with me. I want to break up with them. It's like, wait a second. You can't break up with me. I want, I didn't even like you that much anyway. <laughs> and that was more of my re- rejection kind of thing. I think there were some people I knew it wasn't a match and they probably knew too, but it was like, I think I needed to have the upper hand or something. But I think the rejection really is, it, it feels personal. And so a lot of times, well, I'd say for the most for the most part, a lot of times you get rejected when it comes to business or even in dating or in friendships. It's it's not always personal. Right. And it can or even be. even if it is, is that not okay? Like, right. what do you do with that? Well, you know, what's funny is I wonder, and I actually just thought about this right now, is your clients who are struggling with it, I wonder if their personality type is more the people pleaser. Because mm. I feel like people pleasers tend to, because I have been one in the past and I still have tendencies. But if you're a people pleaser, I think you have a tendency to really want to be liked by everyone. And it's like really important that everybody likes you. And so what happens when you are a people pleaser is you bend your personality and you bend your things to try to make everyone else happy. And you kind of uh, avoid being truly you. Mm -hmm. Um, And you maybe don't take as many risks. And Unfortunately, when you don't take those kind of risks, um, you don't always get the rewards. And so I'm very much, I have been the very, very much the people pleaser type. And my first uh, kind of thing with like rejection kind of came online. And it was when I started doing Inappropriate Picture Friday. And I actually, it was before that. It was was Sweaty Betty's Don't Be a Bitch. When we decided to have our tagline be Don't Be a Bitch, uh, at the time, nobody was saying bitch online. I mean, that's like so team now, but it was like, can we really do this? And the fitness industry was like Jamie Eason, very clean, you know, blonde, no tattoos, commercial look. So being a little edgy was scary. And we made a line in the sand to use that word. And I did get a lot of emails responding saying, Hey, I'm getting off your list. I don't like your language. And I remember a few times where I just cringed and I was like, maybe I should stop doing this. And then we ended up making t-shirts that said on the back, don't be a bitch. And people loved it. They were like, I want one. So we made a bunch of money on shirts, which we hadn't planned. Like our goal wasn't to make t-shirts for the brand. It just happened to work out. And um, I learned that having something that draws a line in the sand Mm -hmm. and making people not like you makes you more likable by the people who do like you. So it's kind of, instead of being vanilla, like I would rather now be more polarizing Mm -hmm. than being like sort of liked by everybody. Because if you're sort of liked, you're just not as memorable. If you have the people who love and hate you, it's like, cool. The ones who hate you eventually just go away. They don't just stay around just to hate you. They're like, you're not my person, got to go. It's not like... um, just eating a blah food, like scrambled eggs. And you're just like, I'm just going to keep eating this because it's here. It's like, no, they're just like, no, I'm going to go eat something I really like or not order this dish anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I was telling my girls is like the worst, well, it's not like that's really the worst, but like one of the worst things that we, responses we want from people, especially if we are kind of putting content online on social media is for someone to be like, oh, do you know Danny J? And they're like, yeah, she's fine. Like you don't want the warm response. You don't, you want people to be like, oh my God, that like, oh, that shit was amazing. Or like, I love that trick so much. Or, or actually like, she's totally not for me. Or like even shit talk you. Like there's mm-hmm. something about that, at least from a success perspective 
that makes you more tractionable, like the worst response you can get is the warm response. And so as you were saying about people pleasing, I was thinking, I read this book. This was back in, I don't know, maybe like 2010, 2011. And it was called Happier by Tal Ben-Shahar. It's a positive psychology book. And this is kind of my first step into personal development. I was like, oh, this is all like, you know, research back stuff. And it was all, all positive psychology studies. And it was all about perfectionism. And I remember reading it and I was like, and I initially was like, of course, I'm not a perfectionist, right? Like whatever. Or, or even if I was, that was a good thing. The whole book was about how perfectionism is crippling and that when people who are people who are traditionally perfectionists, they, they will not try anything that they know they won't be good at. They just won't. They, they cripple at the first sign of any sort of obstacle or struggle or, you know, and there's something in that I teach my girls called uh, failure expectation. Mm. So instead of thinking that things are going to be easy, actually expect that at some point you're going to encounter some sort of struggle. And I think you and I, especially in online business, and even romantically, we had a lot of wins. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think back even to, like, the playground. Like, and I don't say this to brag, but, like, I was always picked first to play mm-hmm. on the team, right? And so it, you get used to a certain level of being picked or being chosen or whatever that looks like. And, and you know, I, I can judge the hell out of it now. But when you have a history of things going well for you, especially in online business for you and I, it was so easy for such a long time. Yep. That as soon as you do things like don't work out and it's not as in flow and things don't feel as aligned, you get scared. And so it's valid and you go, well, I don't really want to put anything out there because what if it doesn't do well? Same thing in dating. Like, what if I, what if the person doesn't want me? Which is fucking hilarious because if you think about it, the idea that everyone's, that you're going to be the perfect match for everybody is fucking ridiculous. But we think that. Right? Like, I'm not choosing you, but you definitely should choose me. Like, how silly is that? <laughs> yeah. Relationships, at least romantic relationships, is about matching up. Yeah. It's not about, like, I'm the perfect person. The funny thing about the dating one, too, is that we tend to not even really know, especially in dating today, you tend to have, like, one first date. So you get a first impression, a dinner, some conversation. And if it doesn't work out or the guy doesn't call you back or the girl doesn't call you back or not responding, you start to make up stories about why they didn't like you. But you have no idea. It could literally be their their ex came back into their life right after or after dinner with you, they just realized like, you know what? I actually am not ready to date right now. It could be that they swiped on you and you were blonde. They wanted to see if they like something different and they just don't. They just like you know, dark haired people. Like we all have preferences and different things. And I've done that where I've gone out with guys or kind of outside my, uh, I don't know, type. And I was like, yeah, no, not into this type. Yeah. And And I'm sure they're great and they will be great for someone else. Just like, you know, we will be great for someone else. Yep. But it's not a match. So instead of maybe looking at it as like being picked, look at it as a matching thing. At least for me, that's where I kind of went to with it. I was like, oh, you know what? This isn't a match actually. Yeah. It's not because this person is bad or wrong or I'm bad or wrong. So I think like high level, it's really about getting like more clinical Mm -hmm. with something and using maybe failure or struggle or misalignment as a signal to become objective and try and figure out, like get clinical and like figure out what it is. So in online business, if a launch doesn't go as well, so I'll give you guys an example. One of the girls was like, well, I don't want to launch this thing. Or no, she said, I don't want to have a number in my head, mm. a goal number, right? I want this many clients by the end of the year. I'm scared to put a number on it because what if I don't hit it? And I immediately said, that's totally fine. It's absolutely clinical. But I understand if it's your business and it's like, especially as a personal brand, you take it so personally. So I think that, being able to get clinical with it and remove the attachment to, to like the emotional attachment allows for you to actually find the solution. I can really relate to that. Afraid to set a goal because when I was in network marketing and we talked about this on the episode of just the last, ep- the last episode on like 
when I was trying to hit that Lexus, I had set a goal to get it within three months and it took me five. And I remember missing it. And after my three month, when I didn't get it that month, I was so beating myself. I'm like, well, shoot, it's never going to happen. And I almost quit. I was just like, this is too hard. I can't do it. And then I had a pep talk from my sister-in-law and kind of stop beating myself up. And then I hit it in five months. And then I had another goal. And again, it took me longer than I thought it would. And so I think I got, I started to get afraid to set goals because I was like, well, what if I don't get it? And then I'm going to be disappointed. And I, I totally get that. And looking back, it's funny because I'm going, okay, big deal. Instead of three months, you did it in five. Instead of, you know, a year, you did it in 18 months. Like you still got to the goal, but it felt as if I was failing. And so I got really scared to even make goals and I, I'm not exactly sure what kind of advice I would give to myself now if I was giving it, like if I was coaching somebody, I, I feel like I could just tell them to get over it, but then being the person in the shoes, I'm just like, but I couldn't get over it. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I think it, it does come back to realizing that at some point in whatever you're trying to achieve and whatever level of success there is you're always going to run, like not everything could possibly be easy for the, for your entire life. And so chances are, if everything is continuing to come easy to you, it's probably because you're not stretching yourself, right? Like that's the thing is like the idea that there's always, I think you can be successful and things can feel easy up to a point. But if you're trying to, I don't know if like you're trying to go from making uh, a certain level of money to like doubling that income. Like, I'm sorry, at some point, like you're the reason why not a lot of people make that higher income is because shit is fucking hard. And so I think having the expectation that failure and or resistance is going to happen at some point, Mm -hmm. instead of feeling crippled by it, when you, when it shows up in your life, inevitably, you're like, oh, here it is. Like, okay, yeah, I, I knew at some point this would get harder. Mm-hmm. And so it's your almost your tenacity tool, like the expectation of like, okay, yes, like I, I remember that this is going to be hard. So what, instead of taking it super personally, you can just get actionable. What's the, what's the workaround? What's the solution here? I tell my girls like what, uh, like I call it like a pivot mindset. You run up against something. What do you do? Do you pivot? And I know we talked about this in the success episode too. And that was one of your things is be like water. Yep. Try to find a workaround and don't make it mean that you suck or that you, it's any less you know, impactful or because you didn't get on the first try that somehow it's not as good. I think that that is going to be the fastest way to to quit. I just thought of one of the things that I did actually to shift and maybe this would help your girl and whoever else listening. And just to remind my own self of the things I would, that I did and I could have said. So there's different uh, fields of thought on goal setting. So like Grant Cardone, he talks about the 10 X rule. And if you, if your goal is to do a hundred thousand to set a goal for a million and you have to do 10 times the work just to get there. And like, if you kind of like that shoot for the stars and if you miss you land on the moon philosophy, <laughs> you might land in a black hole. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's the philosophy of do small goals that you know, you can achieve. So you feel good about it. So like with my clients, instead of saying like, I'm going to work out six days a week, I say, how about, how about you just be consistent at working two or three days And then if you do four, you're going to feel really great because you hit it. When it comes to business and numbers, that's, that can be a trickier one and one that's a little more intimidating. So when I kept missing these, these goals that I was trying to hit, because they were kind of almost like that, like doubling my, my sales volume basically is I started to go by percentages. So I was like, if I can just do 10% more than I did last month and I broke it down into smaller chunks. So I did like 10% or 15% 
because that was an easier like incline and mm. it makes more sense in business. Most businesses do not double in revenue <laughs> every single month no. or every single year even. And a lot of times when you're new, they may, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay. So I started setting growth goals that were based on a more realistic percentage, like 10%. And even 10% could be high depending on where you are in your business. And then it did become a little easier to go, okay, let's do the math here. 10% means I only need one more client or one more sale this month, or I only need, so if I need one more client, one more sale, that means I need to talk to 10 more people. If I talk to 10 more people, that means I need to reach out to a hundred more people. Now I've got my numbers. I know what I need to do and that's doable. If I was like, I got to double my sales, then it just didn't, it was too overwhelming. It was scary. And I'm like, I don't know if I could do it. And then that fear is just making it. So I wasn't doing it. Yeah. I and love so that. it took me a minute to think back while you were talking. I was like, okay, what actually what I do or say, but working in percentages and making them smaller incrementally helped. And then that helped to, again, forget about the rejection. Just, I think sometimes we, if we're worried about people saying no, it like, if you have some numbers in your head, like, okay, I only need to get 10 people, then cool. That means I need to talk to a hundred. And so now mm-hmm. I, I used to tell people this and I got this advice myself was go get the nose. If you know you need 10 and most 90% yeah. are going to say no, yep. go get the nose, go hurry yep. up and get 90 no's so you can hurry and get them out of your system. Yep. And actually getting the nose, like trying for no helped me mentally just go, cool. I'm like over like, cool. Thank you. Bye. I got to go to the next one. Like I'm trying for a no. If you tell me yes, I'm like, shit, I still have to get 20 no's today. So thank you. Got a sale, but I got 19 more no's to get. So that's such a big perspective shift. And it's so interesting that you said that because the thing I was going to say on the tail end of that's very similar. The book, uh, the game by Neil Strauss, mm-hmm. it's all about pickup artistry. And I read that book. It was like so bizarre that I read that anyway, it was years ago, but, um, it was really well written, but it tells a story of if you want to learn the art of pickup, pickup artistry, which is, you know, basically it's manipulation of the opposite sex, which is ridiculous. But their whole thing was that like they'd go out to a bar and it would be like, you need to get rejected. Like your goal is rejection, actually. And so they would say the more women you talk to, the more rejections that you can potentially um, get. And also as a result of that, just straight up experience and reps dissipates the emotional attachment, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. So if you ask any successful entrepreneur, like they'll just laugh at the like fear of reject, like the fear of failure. They're just like, "What are you talking about?" Like, of course, like failure is just yeah. part of the game. Mm-hmm. They don't get scared by it. They don't get uh, emotionally hijacked by it simply because of the reps. Yeah. So, like, if you get, I love that. Like, just get the nose. Like, if and all of a sudden it doesn't feel as like. Uh, impactful. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, so when you're at a bar, like actually go up and try to get more rejections so it doesn't impact you so much. And I think one of the reasons it doesn't impact you so much is because you're no longer attached to the outcome. You're like, I don't, I'm actually not trying to get a date or get with this girl. I'm just like practicing that, this. That becomes the point. And I think this is the thing too, is when we get really attached to us, like we, if we really need the money and we need the sale, we get more scared of the no, because we're like, I've got to bring this money. It's like a different energy. If you could take it or leave it, and even if you can't, but if you can get the, if you can get the mental idea that you could take it or leave it, then you can do so much more and you can get those yeses easier. It's just really funny how that works. But I always tell my girls like, because if they're scared to do something new, I'm like, look, you don't have that sale already. Yeah. You don't have that client already. Mm -hmm. So what's the worst that can happen? The person says, no, great. Get to the no as fast as possible because then you can move move the fuck on with your life. Yeah. So something that happens in sales is you, you had mentioned it, like you do 
you have to like at some point, maybe sometimes you're having a sales conversation or you're back and forth over email or over DM and the person just doesn't respond. So I always say, go follow up with that person to get a no because yeah. a no response isn't it's, a no, mm-hmm. but those are open loops. Yep. So it's like, let's just get to the no as fast as possible so that we can like mentally just move away from that. That's, that's off the table. And what I love what you always say about sales is like having more people in the pipeline. I remember one of my very earliest business coaches was I was so nervous about selling on a webinar one time, like one of my very first webinars and I was selling something that was really high ticket. And she was like, Jill, you have to act like you don't need the sale. Mm-hmm. And so even if, like you said, you do need the sale, you have to have the energy and attitude that you could take it or leave it. And at that point, like that's really attractive. Even you'll probably actually close more and make more if you have that abundance attitude. And this happens in dating too. Like how attractive is it when you realize like someone doesn't actually need you? That's like really attractive. Like, oh, they're just doing their thing. I'm attracted to that. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, we're on the same page now. But the desperation yeah, and like the fear and the urgency is very off-putting. I think that's why I did have success in dating. And by success, I just mean that people <laughs> would want a second. You. That they would want a second date at least because I wasn't, I was kind of just killing time and having fun. I didn't really give a shit where I talked to some of these guys and they were like, I'm going out with this girl and first date. They are just like, Hey, do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? I need to know, like, I need to know all these answers right now. And there was this desperate, clingy, overly like stressful kind of like interview. And I was just like, cool, let's just have some drinks and get to know each other. And honestly, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know if you know what you're doing here. Let's just have, and then we we would be so relaxed. We could enjoy just talking and find out if you're actually a good match versus yeah. like, do we match up on paper? Do we want kids? Do we get married? Like, yep. and so I think there is an energy to it. And so I love the idea of failure expectation or rejection expectation. And to me, if you're never feeling rejected and you're never that you're not doing shit, if you never feel resistance, you're not doing anything. You know, right now we've been, well, We've been looking for podcast sponsors and I've sent hundred, probably over a hundred DMs and been getting a lot of no responses. And it's so funny because I like what you said about going closing the loop to get the no. For me, I'm trying, I'm getting, I'm following up every single week because I have a spreadsheet and I literally just want to check them off if it's a no. So I could stop bugging them and keep going. I'm like, I don't actually care if you say no. I just like, please give me a yay or nay if this is something we could even talk about or if something we could discuss or if you're even open to it because otherwise I got a bunch of other people to follow up. And it's funny because I haven't really... I haven't really cared. Like I do want this really um, badly for us and I want it to be a good fit for everybody, but I'm also just not attached to it. I'm not just looking at like one company and going, oh my gosh, if they don't do this, we're screwed. I've got so many. And I think there is a thing, there is something to be said about just filling your pipeline because not just dependent on the one. And also if they rejected us and said like, you know, actually it's not a good fit for us. That would just literally be it. It wouldn't be like, oh my God, Danny, we're so bad at podcasting. No one wants to sponsor us. It's literally like, okay. Yeah. In the meantime, we'll be like doing our thing. Yep. And if they're like, oh, it's just not a good fit or we don't really, even if they just said like, we don't really like your content. Cool. We're not changing anything. (laughs) So bye. (laughs) Right. Right. And there's just, I think that there is power in reps. The more action you take, the more experiences you have, the more you rack up the rejections, the more times you rack up the no's you do get more of an abundance mindset and it does dissipate the emotional attachment to the outcome. I think reps is huge. Reps is huge. Sales calls. And if there's anything that you do that you're scared of, if there's a way that you can get more of that yes. to practice. Totally. And we get it. Like if you're trying to do more public speaking, like go to a class that you can speak more and practice and just get 
bad critiques of you. If you are doing sales, find a way to just get more people to talk to about your sales conversation and just talk. Even if you have to practice, I know uh, Grant Cardone says he would do this where, I don't know if he was selling cars or something like that, but he would go with one of his partners and they would role play. And he said, I would even record this. So they'd be talking and then the person is going, his partner would just say, oh, I can't afford it. And then he would, he would have to come up with like a way to overcome that objection or how to respond. Or the person would say, I need to talk to my spouse. And so he would come up with something. So he practiced. So when the scenario came up, he had some answers and he didn't feel like so stifled or so scared or so worried about losing the sale because I guess in car sales, you probably don't get those opportunities every day. So maybe you can even create scenarios with your friends where you just tell them like, Hey, tell me you can't afford it. Tell me this. And then let me try to find ways to come back with that. And then maybe even have the com- the money. I know with some of my clients and probably yours too, they're scared to tell their prices. So having practice conversations of, Hey, read me, like, tell me about your sales conversation. And then, and then have your friend just say, so how much is it? And then you practice just saying the price and shutting up instead of saying the price and being like, but I'll take a hundred dollars <laughs> off for you if you sign up right now, like say the thing and practice shutting up. Yep. But the, I think the practice is, practice is key. It's key. And then just expecting that, I mean, how ridiculous it would be to expect that everything's going to go yeah. completely easy all the time. I'll tell you um, one last thing. We did an exercise at Lori Harder's Bliss Project, which I think was really cool. It was about rejection. So she had everybody think of something that they, they kind of needed like an ask, something that they wanted. And then you had to go to, ten, the whole room got to spread out and you had to go to 10 people and ask that thing. And everyone in the room was only allowed to give one yes. So all the other people you came up to, you'd have to say no. So literally, I remember at that time, I think my question was, I'm looking for someone to, um, uh, I'm looking for new opportunities to speak. Do you know of anybody? And so I went up to somebody and the girl looked me in the face, no. Asked somebody else, girl looked me in the face, no. And I was just like, it's just made me kind of laugh. I'm like, okay, you know how you have to say no. But then when people came up to me asking for things they needed, I felt guilty saying no, but I was just like, no. And it was good on both sides because I think we also need practice saying no. Yes. And when you have your yeses be your yes and your noes be your no, it feels really good. But I loved the practice of just hearing it over and over and over yeah. and asking for something and realizing it wasn't personal. And yeah. I thought that was a great exercise. So that's very cool. Yeah. I love it. Well, this is a good, a good conversation. If you guys feel as though you struggle with this, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a DM on Insta uh, at the best life podcast or hop into our closed Facebook group, the best share in our group, a little bit of discussion around rejection, failure, and the flip side, which is fear of success, which is kind of very similar is like, if I'm too successful and I'm fail, then there's somewhere to fall to, or I'm falling from a higher place or have more eyes on me or have more responsibility, which can also be scary. So there's a lot of self-sabotage. Maybe that's a separate episode, but we always love hearing from you guys and we hope that this is useful. Come in and share your latest rejection with us. That'd be great. Yeah. And then we'll make sure we ignore it. So you feel feel even more rejected. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.